0: following is a teaching message from Shore Community Church. For more information on Shore, for our teaching resources, visit www.shore.org.nz. Now this morning we are going to be in Luke chapter 17 and verse 20, and Jennifer Bowden is going to come and read that passage for us.
1: Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, Here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Then he said to his disciples, The time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will tell you, There he is, or here he is. Do not go running off after them. For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying and being given marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord, they asked. He replied, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather.
0: Thanks, Jenny. It's a great passage, isn't it? Wow, leaves you hanging there. Well, with, with the year that we've had, uh, with, particularly with COVID, this pandemic, which is such a, such a massive event, such a global event, uh, it was only a matter of time, I think, before Christians started asking, is this a sign that Jesus is about to return? Is COVID-19 a sign that we are living in the end times? Uh, after all, the Bible talks about plagues, talks about pestilence. Talks about the four horsemen of the apocalypse and famine and plague and so on. Could it be that maybe this pandemic is a sign that, we're, that the end is near, that Armageddon is coming and the second coming's not far away? Some, some people definitely think so, right? I mean, that, that's out there. And, of course, what better way to express those views than on social media? So um, let, me, let me read you some here, just some great, some great tweets that I came across. Here's one guy who says... Uh, Don't know how serious the coronavirus is going to be in truth, but there was some passage in the book of Revelation from the Bible where it talks about a significant portion of humanity being wiped out by disease and pestilence. Uh, Someone else says, Doesn't the book of Revelation mention the lamb smoting the anti-pope with coronavirus? (laughs) Well, no, it doesn't um, at all. Uh, And then someone else says, Australian wildfires, coronavirus, earthquakes in odd places, increased rage and murders worldwide, massive hunger increases. And there are those that laugh at the book of Revelation. Hashtag Jesus is coming. So you get all sorts. Uh, That's just a few of them, but there is definitely that sentiment out there. Maybe we're living in the end times. Could it be with all the global unrest going on at the moment, with the coronavirus, maybe with the US elections, could it be that this is all sort of a big sign pointing to the end? And this is a time, I think, when as Christians, we do need to come back and take our cue from what the Bible actually says. That it's very easy when you just look at current events and you look at what's going on and then you start making direct connections to things in the Bible. It's very easy to sort of get off into all sorts of flights of fancy and conjecture and so on. But this is a moment, I think, when we need to come back and ask, well, what what does Scripture actually say about these things? Because the Bible does address it. The Bible does talk about the end times. The Bible does talk about the return of Jesus. And we want to ground ourselves in what Scripture actually says. And then from there, try to interpret responsibly into our context today, right? That, that's just good for us as Christians to be anchored in what Scripture is teaching around these things. And this passage that we have in front of us this morning does exactly that. So this is a passage where it sounds a little bit obscure, but Jesus is talking about his own return. That's what's happening here. So this is Jesus during his first earthly life, talking about his second earthly life, which is quite significant. So 2,000 years ago, Jesus stood on this earth and he made some statements about what his own second coming would be like and about what that day would be like when he finally returned. We call it the second coming. And he, he doesn't tell us everything. I mean, we wish we knew more. Right? I mean, we wish we knew the day and the time. Some people think they do know the day and the time, but we wish we knew these things. We don't know these things. Reading this passage, it's a bit like looking out your window on a foggy morning. You can see some things. You can make out some shapes, but you can't see everything. You can't see perfectly clearly. And that's just what it's like in this passage. There's a lot of detail we don't know. There's a lot of detail that's still shrouded in mystery, and that's good, and that's fine. But there are some things we can see. And there are some things we can say, and we can have confidence to say some things and believe some things with security about what it's going to be like when Jesus returns. So that's what we're going to do this morning, okay? It's a bit of fun, but we're going to talk about the second coming. We're going to talk about the return of Jesus. I can sense the excitement in the room already. And we're going to talk about what Jesus himself says about his own second coming. So in this passage, Jesus mentions three things about his return. Three things that will characterize the second coming of Jesus. Three main points that he makes. The first is this. The second coming of Christ will be unmistakable. Have a look in verse 24. For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. Anyone see that lightning last night? It reminds me of uh, when Anna and I were living in Cincinnati, Ohio, in the U.S., and over there they have these, these dry thunderstorms. So over here, you know, when there's lightning, it's always raining, but over there you can get these spectacular dry thunderstorms, and we had this apartment where we had a view out over the city, and there were some nights you could be sitting there, and you'd look out and see these massive sheet lightning. And your view is not obstructed by the rain. Just this spectacular sheet lightning and it just lights up the sky. It looks like it's lighting up the whole city. And Jesus is saying that's what it's going to be like when he returns. Not that there's literally going to be lightning, although there might be. The point is that when Jesus returns, it will be visible to everyone. It's going to be universally witnessed by all people, everywhere. It's not going to be like if you're living in the wrong part of the world at the time, you won't see him because he returns over here. It's not going to be like, well, if you live in Somalia, sorry, because he returned in Scotland, you're out of luck. No, we're all going to see him, everyone. So every single person on every continent, everywhere in the world will see Jesus at once. That's how it's going to happen. I don't know how, That's one of the details we don't know. That's the foggy part. We don't know how it's going to happen. How is everyone possibly going to see Jesus all at the same time? I don't know. Some people speculate maybe it's going to be through technology because we live in this globalized world and we're all online now. Maybe it's going to be live streamed somehow to us. We we don't know. Maybe. It's probably a Westerner that came up with that idea because half the world still doesn't have the internet. So I don't know how they're going to see it. But we don't know how that's going to happen. The point is it's going to happen. We will all see Jesus and we will all recognize him as the Messiah. That's not just Christians, but also non-Christians. There's not going to be any mistaking it on that day. The Bible says they will look upon the one whom they have pierced and they will mourn because of him. Even unbelievers on that day will recognize Jesus as the true Messiah. Now on that day, it's going to be too late to choose. We're already choosing in this life who we serve. On that day, you've made your choice. But every eye is going to see him. Every knee is going to bow to him. Every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Universally, we will witness the return of the king. It's going to happen. Now, what that means for you in the present is this. Here's just a little rule of thumb to carry with you through life, okay? If you ever wonder if someone is the Messiah... If ever you hear of someone, see someone, and you wonder if it's Jesus, if it's the second coming, it's not. (laughs) Okay, just flat out, it's not. That's a great rule of thumb because on that day, when it really happens, you will not wonder. You will not be like, oh, could it be him? Looks a bit like him. He looks Jewish. Could this be Jesus? It's not going to be like that. You will know. You just, everyone will know. It's unmistakable. That's why Jesus says, don't go running off after this person saying, here he is. Don't go running off after that person, here he is. You will know and you will see and it will be unmistakable. So let's not get sucked in by anyone claiming to be the Messiah. When Jesus returns, it will be obvious and visible and unmistakable. Okay, that's the first point. Then the second thing Jesus says about his return is that it will be unpredictable. Have a look in verse 26 to 29. He talks here about the days of Noah, that story in Genesis, Noah and the ark. And he talks also about the days of Lot, another story in in Genesis where the city of Sodom was destroyed by fire. And he says it's going to be like that when he returns. Look at what people were doing in the days of Noah in verse 27. People were eating and drinking and marrying, being given in marriage. In verse 28, people were eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building. What does that sound like? Normal life. All those things today, right? You just add in social media and we basically got a snapshot of what we do in our time. This is all the stuff of life. It's just normal life. And Jesus is saying, this is how it was. In the days of Noah, people were going about their ordinary lives. And then suddenly, the heavens opened and the floodwaters came. In the days of Lot, the people of Sodom were going about their ordinary lives. And then suddenly, fire rained down from heaven. Jesus says that's how it's going to be. When Jesus returns, I mean, just picture this. It's just going to be a normal day. It's not going to be some special spectacular day. We're not all going to go up on a mountain and pray somewhere and wait for the Messiah. It's just going to be this normal day. It's going to be like maybe, let's say it's a morning. Let's say it's a Wednesday. I don't know if it's going to be a Wednesday, but let's just say it's a Wednesday. You're just going to be going about your normal stuff. You're going to be eating your breakfast, or you're going to be brushing your teeth, or you're going to be drinking your morning coffee, or you're going to be at the gym, or you're going to be making the kids lunches, or you're going to be on your way to work, and suddenly... Jesus is going to be here. I mean, that's how it's going to be. It's not like there's going to be this big warm up act and then a whole lot of opening bands and then someone's going to say, 15 minutes time, Jesus is coming on stage. None of that. Jesus will just show up. In fact, he says the Son of Man's going to come at an hour you least expect. He's just going to be here. Any moment, Jesus could arrive. Do you believe that? Like any second, like he could arrive now didn't happen. I'm not a prophet, but it could be. I mean, this is how we've got to live, right? Like it could be any second. And people say, well, hang on, but doesn't all this other stuff have to happen first? Surely Jesus can't come back yet because these other things haven't happened. And you know, what about the, you know, the temple hasn't been rebuilt or this peace treaty hasn't been made or Antichrist hasn't arisen or whatever. Donald Trump's not the president. Jesus can't come back yet until these things happen. You know? No, listen. He could come back any time. There is nothing that needs to happen before Jesus returns. Nothing. Everything that has to happen before Jesus returns has already happened. His life, death, resurrection, and ascension. Now it could be any second. If you believe there's 10 other things that have got to happen first, I don't know how you make sense of this passage. It could happen any time. It's going to come like a thief in the night. It's just going to be that sudden and it's going to be unpredictable. And so what that means is that COVID-19 in and of itself is not a sign that the return of Jesus is imminent. Now, it could be in the sense that Jesus could come back today. And so we discover, yeah, he did come back in the middle of a pandemic. But there have been many pandemics through history. And so far, none of them have been a sign that Jesus was about to return. There have been many global catastrophes, many tragedies, many massive natural events that have happened, as well as man-made disasters. And none of them so far have been a sign that Jesus is about to return. People in every age have looked at current events and wondered, could we be living in the last time? It's understandable that we do that. But we can't say definitively that any event is a signal that Jesus is about to return. What we should be saying is it could be any second. As a Christian, we need to live with this imminent expectation of the return of Jesus. Imagine if we actually lived like that. If we actually lived like Jesus could come back at any second, how would your life be different? You know, if Jesus came back tonight, how would your day be different today? How would your interactions with people be different? How would our worship be different? How would the thoughts that are going on in your head right now be different? If you knew Jesus was coming back, what if you knew he was coming back in a couple of minutes' time? And this is not, of course, about trying to get ourselves in some perfect, pristine condition. We're totally dependent on the grace of God. But it might just orientate your life a little bit more if you knew Jesus was coming back. That's exactly the posture our hearts should have, to live with this imminent expectation that our king really could return at any second. His return will be unpredictable. And then thirdly, this is where it gets really fun, his return is going to be unavoidable. Now, have a look at these verses in 34 and 35. This is so interesting. Jesus says, I tell you, On that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Now, this is where we get this whole theory of being left behind. Have you heard that? We're going to be left behind. Some people are going to be left behind. Some of you maybe read those books that came out 20 years ago or so, the Left Behind series Or you saw the movie with Kirk Cameron that came out. They did another one with Nicolas Cage more recently. And it's all based on this event that's going to happen. And all the Christians in the world instantaneously are going to be zapped to heaven. They're going to be transported instantly to heaven. And the only ones left on the earth will be the non-Christians. And so you know, you can play with that theory and imagine if a Christian was flying a plane and then this happened and, you know, there'd be tragedy would unfold on the earth. And so this kind of becomes the way the books unfold. And those of you that are of a slightly older vintage, you kind of, I mean, this is just another iteration of a book that came back in the 70s, the late great planet earth. Do you remember that? Hal Lindsay or the Thief in the Night movie. Some of you remember that. It's all the same stuff. It's all the same theory based of the same idea that there's going to be this big event that happens. Christians will be taken and non-Christians will be left behind. And some of that, not all of it, but some of it is based on this passage where Jesus talks about there's going to be these two people, one's going to be taken, one's going to be left behind. So Jesus does teach on this. But this is where we need to look closely at what he's actually saying. Now, I find it helpful to... Compare this passage with the parallel passage in Matthew, where Jesus says the same thing, but the wording is slightly expanded. It makes it a little bit easier to understand. In Matthew 24, you don't need to turn there, but just listen to this. Uh, Jesus says, verse 38, For in the days before the flood, so he's talking about Noah again, in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken and the other will be left. So, what Jesus is saying here is building upon the Noah story. He's building on the story of Noah. Now, think about the story of Noah. In the days of Noah, when the floodwaters came, according to Jesus, who were the ones who were taken? The unbelievers. It was the unbelievers who were taken. He says, when the floodwaters came and took them all away, the ones that were taken were the ones who didn't listen to Noah and didn't listen to God. They were taken. They were judged. They were swept away by the floodwaters. Jesus is saying that's how it's going to be when the Son of Man comes. Now, if that's our base for understanding what Jesus is saying, then when you have these two people in the field and one is taken, who's the one that's taken? It's the unbeliever, not the believer. You have these two people in bed. One is taken, one is left. Who's the one that's taken? It's not the believer. It's the unbeliever. If you see what Jesus is saying based on the Noah story, do you see how this is the exact reverse of what the Left Behind series is saying? In that series, the ones taken are the Christians, and the ones left are the non-Christians. What Jesus is saying is when this happens, it's going to be the unbelievers taken away because that's that's an image of judgment. They'll be swept away. They'll be, they'll be taken away in the sense of being judged because God will judge and purge all evil and sin and wickedness from, from the earth. And the ones who are left will be the believers, will be the ones who welcome Jesus to earth whose lives are preserved and then we reign with Christ over the new creation for eternity. So, This is where it's so important that we come back to actually look at what did Jesus say in his own words and not just simply buy into what did I read in the Left Behind series. We've got to get our theology from Scripture, yes, not from movies, even if they are Christian movies, because the theology is not always right. So in other words, if there's going to be this event where some are taken and some are left behind, I want to be left behind. Right? If there's going to be a rapture, I want to be left behind. I don't want to be taken because the ones who are taken are judged. They're taken away to judgment. I I would rather be left behind because those are the ones whose lives are preserved and then we become uh, those who are part of the kingdom. And the point is what Jesus is saying more deeply is his return is going to be an unavoidable event. You can't hide from it. You can't escape it. For those who have resisted and rejected Christ's offer of love, it will be a day of unavoidable judgment. And that's not the nice part of the good news, I know. But this is the reality for those who haven't accepted Christ. It will be a day when they are taken away to judgment. But it will also be a day of unavoidable blessing for those who belong to Christ, of unavoidable salvation and celebration for those who are left at His coming as we welcome in our King. So the return of Jesus will be unavoidable. So these three things are... The points Jesus is making around his own returning, it will be unmistakable, it will be unpredictable, and it will be unavoidable. Now the question is, what difference does that make to any of us? What possible difference does that make in our lives today? We know Jesus is coming, sure, that's fine, but what, what, how does that affect me today? How does it affect the way that I live? Let me give you this uh, analogy Last year, our family went to a a big family camp over New Year's, and one afternoon, there was this activity we did there, like a team activity. So we're all in these teams, and the first thing we had to do was compete in these challenges in order to earn gold coins. We didn't quite know why we are doing it, but we, we participated, and then you get a few gold coins if you win. So we got these gold coins. And then they take you over to this marketplace area, where there's a whole lot of things you can buy with your gold coins. Now, again, we don't know what these things are for. We've got some gold coins. We can buy what we want. There's ping pong balls on the table. There's scissors. There's lollipops. There's string. There's a key. There's a sealed envelope with who knows what inside. You don't know why you've got to have this stuff. But we bought a few things with our gold coins. And then it turns out that the teams who bought the envelope that was sealed, inside was a map. And that map led to a treasure chest. But you get to the treasure chest, and it's all wrapped up with chains. And there was a key that was needed to unlock the padlock. And another team had bought the key. And then once the chains are off the treasure chest, you realize there's a combination that you need to actually open the treasure chest. And that combination is written on the ping pong balls that another team had purchased. And so that team comes forward with the ping pong balls, and they officially are able to open the treasure chest, and there's all these lollies inside. Now, thankfully, when it was opened, the kids just dived in, and everyone had lollies. But the point was, we didn't know until that treasure chest was revealed what the point of the whole game was. Like we're going through this whole game, we're getting the gold coins, we're buying all these things, you don't know what's going on. And then finally you see the treasure chest and it all makes sense. And you realize what this was all leading up to. Can you see where this is going? So this is an analogy, I think, of what Jesus is saying. We're all going through life. You know, we're playing this game of life. And along the way, we're collecting stuff, right? You're collecting money, collecting relationships, collecting jobs, collecting things, stuff, collecting achievements and accolades and accomplishments and so on. Half the time, we don't even know why we're doing these things, but we're just going through life and we're collecting all this stuff. And then Jesus is saying, one day at the end of the game, there's going to be this event. That's going to be the return of Christ. That's like the treasure chest. And when that happens, when that treasure chest is revealed, the whole game is going to make sense. Everything leading up to that is suddenly going to fall into place, and we're going to realize what the game was all about. And there's a lot of people on that day who I think are going to get to that moment and realize they've been collecting a lot of stuff along the way that really doesn't matter anymore you are going to be a lot of people who have collected a lot of gold and they've collected a lot of stuff and they've focused on a lot of things that at the time seemed so valuable and they've got a comfortable lifestyle and they've been very successful and they've been keeping themselves very happy and it's all been great and then they get to this point of the return of Jesus and they realize none of that is going to get me the treasure and they're going to realize so much of what they have invested their lives in was just ultimately a waste of time. Because in the end, it is utterly useless to get that treasure. And then there's going to be other people who have invested their lives in different things. And they've focused on things that maybe everyone else thought were a bit foolish and a bit obscure. Things that seem silly. Things like loving God, loving people. But they've invested in those treasures. And they're going to get to that day. And they're going to realize that's the key that unlocks the treasure chest. They're going to realize those things that were scoffed at and that seemed so useless at the time were exactly what will count and what will stand on the day of judgment. Now, here's the difference between the game and real life. In the game, we had no idea until the end of the game that the treasure chest was coming. Like we had to go through the whole game, just not sure. And we're guessing and you don't know what you're doing. And then finally it makes sense. But the whole reason Jesus gives us this teaching is so we would know, right? I mean, Jesus says, I don't want you to miss out on the treasure. I'm telling you now, that's why Luke 17 is in the Bible. So that we wouldn't get to that day and go, what? I didn't realize I thought all this other stuff was so valuable. Jesus is saying, I'm telling you now, you will have no excuse on that day. The treasure is there. I am coming again. And he says, I want you to live therefore in view of that day. Jesus is saying, I don't want you to get to the end and look back with massive regret over what you have invested your life in. I don't want you to get to that day and hear the father say, what a great performance, but you've completely missed the point. Jesus says, I want you to get to that day and be able to stand firm because you have that key of eternal life in your hand because you've invested in loving God and loving people. That's why this chapter is in the Bible. That's why when we have that vision of the return of Jesus in our mind, that becomes the future that we live towards. It's not just pie in the sky when we die. This is the anchor for our soul in the present That's the day that is like our true north that we're living for. We live towards that day if you're a Christian. You keep your eye on that day. You're making decisions in life. You're thinking about where you're going. You're thinking about how to invest and and make strategic decisions in life. You keep your eye on that day and you think, what's going to matter on that day? Is this really going to count on that day? You think about next year starting to put in place the big pieces in your life for next year and the priorities and what's going to be taking up most of your time next year. Are those things that will matter on that day? When, when you stand before Jesus on that day, are these things that are really going to count for anything? Or will it just be like chaff that the wind blows away? You think about what takes up your time now, what consumes your emotional energy, what consumes your mental energy, what you're focusing on, what you're giving your money to, what is is keeping you up at night. You think about these things. Are these things that are going to matter in the scope of eternity? Are these things that will stand on that day or will they just fade away? And when you think about those things that really do count for something, faith and hope and love, You know, faith growing deeper in our relationship with God, living in hope of His returning, and love, genuine love towards God and towards other people. Those things, those values, are those the values that are really driving you? Are those really the central values in your life? These things that are actually going to count when Jesus returns. In a sense, we want to live our lives in reverse, yeah? You want to picture yourself on that day when Jesus returns. I mean, just picture it. And Jesus stands there before you on that day, and He returns. And it's it just imagine it's actually happened. And then you look back on your life, and what are you going to think? What are you going to reflect on when you look back on your life? You're going to think, "Man, I wish I'd just spent a little bit more time on social media." You know, is that going to be the thought that goes through your mind? If I just spent a bit more time on TikTok, man, could have made some awesome videos. You know, is that going to be what is forefront in your mind? Or are you going to think, man, if only I'd just drawn deeper to God, anchored myself in His grace. I wish I'd trusted Him more. I wish I'd grown in in my love for Him more. I wish I hadn't worried about things so much and left more in God's hands and pursued things that were meaningful in life and loved God and loved other people. I think those are probably the thoughts that are going to be rolling around in our minds on that day. And I just don't want you to miss out. I don't want you to be filled with regret on that day and look back over a life that's been full of all kinds of good achievements, but things that ultimately don't get you the treasure. I want us to be able to stand there, confident in our identity in Christ, ready to step into the kingdom of God. And you know, as you focus more and more on that day, you know the other thing it does? It just fills you with a sense of excitement, doesn't it? Doesn't it just stir your heart? I mean, that's part of, I guess, what I'm hoping will happen this morning, that there'll just be something in our hearts that actually just longs for Jesus to return. That's who we're supposed to be as Christians. You know, that we long for that, that we live with this expectation of that. And, and, And we look around us at the brokenness of this world. And you just feel sometimes like it can't get any worse. And you just find yourself crying out, come Lord Jesus, just come and make it new. Come and step in. Come and claim your kingdom. Come and claim this world. Come and rule the nations as the true king of kings. There's no earthly savior that's going to save us. It's only the king of kings. And we should have that heart that longs for the return of Jesus, that has this joy that one day our king is going to be here. It's really going to happen one day in a flash In the twinkling of an eye, the Bible says, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised and the perishable will clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal will give way to immortality and death will be swallowed up in victory. That day is coming. We want to live for that day. We want to long for that day. We want to be full of joy that that day will soon be here. Let me finish with the words of an old hymn That captures something of the excitement, I think, of what's going to happen when Jesus returns. I cannot tell how all the lands shall worship when at his bidding every storm is stilled. Or who can say how great the jubilation when all the hearts of men with love are filled. But this I know, the skies will thrill with rapture and myriad, myriad human voices sing And earth to heaven and heaven to earth will answer. At last, the Savior, Savior of the world is King. Jesus, we just want to say in response to those words, Come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. Come and make this world your home. God, this world is so broken. It's so messed up. Our lives are so broken. Our lives are so messed up. Jesus, we need you to come again. We thank you that you've promised us that you are coming soon. And we don't know how soon that is, but we just ask you, Jesus, hasten the day of your return. We ask you, Lord Jesus, to come. And we pray that you would help us to live with our eye on that day when you appear. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that we know that it's going to happen. But help us in the present to live in view of your appearing. Lord, I pray for each of us. In this room here, everyone hearing this message, that even today as we go through our day, as we make decisions, as we have interactions, that just in our mind's eye, we would picture you coming again into this world and that those steps we take through this life would be taken with an eye on that glorious day. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that the words that Job spoke Although centuries ago were as true today as when he spoke them, I know that my Redeemer lives, and one day he will stand upon this earth, and I will see him. In my own flesh, I will see him. We thank you, Jesus, that day is coming. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shore Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry,